right, so episode 58 with Chris Sandel is about to start, and I want to make an announcement for my podcast going forward. So I have this idea that it would be really cool if I also did solo episodes along with me interviewing all these amazing people. So what does that mean for you? You're going to get two episodes per week, one with me and one with a guest. The ones with me are going to be about 20 minutes, no longer, no shorter, and it's going to be a topic about whatever I'm feeling that week or what I came across with a client and it's going to be useful for if you are a coach and if you are a fitness enthusiast or just looking for more knowledge about fitness and health. So I'm going to almost angle these episodes for everyone so everyone can have some sort of benefit or get something out of it. And, you know, I can go from nutrition to eating behaviors to business, and it's going to be awesome. So I'm going to post now my episodes with the guests on Wednesdays and the solo ones with myself on Sunday. So now we got two awesome days to look forward to to the week so you can hear me ramble on. Now, let's get into our episode with Chris. He is a naturopathic nutritionist, and honestly... He thinks exactly the same way I do, and he has a lot of great experience coaching clients online, getting through to them and leading them to the lifestyle they want to achieve and the weight loss that just comes with it. So let's get at it and let's get the episode started. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Cut the Shit, Get Fit. I'm your host, Rafael Matuszewski, and joining me today is Chris Sandel. Say hello. Hello. Perfect. Uh, so to break the ice for the audience, I always ask all my guests, what do you got planned for the weekend? What have I got planned for the weekend? Um, I've actually got a wedding on, not my own, a uh, friend's wedding uh, tomorrow, uh, which would be great. I've got some friends who have flown over from Oz to attend the wedding. So yeah, it'd be really nice to catch up with, with friends. Awesome. So for everybody in the audience, can you tell them who you are, what you do, and how did you get into this industry? So my name's Chris Sandel. I'm a nutritionist. Um, I'm originally from Sydney, Australia, and at the age of 21, finished a business degree, realized I had absolutely no idea what I wanted to do, um, and decided to move over to the UK or just do like a a gap year or a gap couple of years traveling around Europe, living in London, and and try and figure out what I wanted to do, Um, and subsequently I've never left. Uh, But yeah, I moved over here, and within three or four or five weeks, um, the couple that I moved in with, um, Lisa, the female in the couple, was doing a detox. Um, And at the time, I had pretty bad skin, and I'd had pretty bad skin for probably the preceding two or three years, and I would go on antibiotics for two or three months. It would clear up. I'd come off the antibiotics. It would come back, and it was just constantly going on and off antibiotics. Um, And, I mean, I'm someone who is naturally very lean. I'm being blessed genetically like that. It wasn't anything that I've done. And so when I went off to, to college, when I was still in Sydney, I just ate terribly. So it was a lot of KFC, a lot of kebabs, a lot of McDonald's, et cetera, because at that stage, I knew nothing about food. I knew nothing about nutrition. And what I had in my mind was, if you eat that food, it makes you fat. I didn't have that problem. So I was like, well, there's no issue with me eating that food. So I was very naive about it. I was lucky I grew up in a household where there was good food and we did eat a lot of home cooked stuff, but just 
you know, when you when you get to being independent, you're 18, 19, you can do whatever you want in terms of your eating. That was what that was what happened. And so, yeah, I didn't have particularly good skin. And so when I moved over here, uh, Lisa said, hey, why don't you you do a detox with me for four weeks and see what happens? And I always when I tell this story, I preface it and say, I don't recommend detoxes now. Like this isn't something I would recommend with uh, clients. It was really um pretty minimal in the whole scheme of things it was a uh, a plan where it was a vegetarian or a vegan diet um and there was no restrictions on how much food you could eat so it was just a lot of fruits and vegetables and beans and pulses and that kind of thing so it wasn't the kind of master cleanse or any of the crazy detoxes i see being recommended uh these days it was a pretty wholesome whole food uh diet and I did that for four weeks and just really noticed my skin got a lot better. I noticed I had better energy and better sleep, et cetera. And I think from that point on was just aware of how food affects my body, et cetera. And one thing I would also add with this is a lot of the time when people go on detoxes, it then means that after that point, they become more and more restrictive. So they've just cut out a whole heap of foods and then they just continue on with that. And for me, it had the opposite impact. I learned of all of these new foods that I hadn't eaten before, that I hadn't cooked before, and it really just expanded my repertoire. So I would say I'm probably in the very, very minority of people who have done a detox where it's been really beneficial. And as I said, it's not something I recommend with people. Um, but yeah, just from then on for the next two years, I kind of flip-flop between what you'd associate with some young 20-year-old living on the other side of the world, uh, going out, drinking, eating whatever they wanted or whatever I wanted uh, versus times where I was more conscious of what I was eating and just noticed that difference. And at some point, realized that this was something I was getting really into. I was reading more about it. I was bringing it up in conversation more. Um, and yeah, at some point I was like, this could be the thing that I was trying to work out what I wanted to do. Um, so it was then at, at that stage, um, in about 2005, when I then started looking into um, studying and then into early 2006, um, I started studying. I studied at the College of Naturopathic Medicine, uh, CNM in London, and it's a, a three-year course. Um, and so I then finished that in 2008 and then got started working as a nutritionist and it's kind of gone from there and we can we can talk about that in in more detail, but that's kind of my uh, my story in terms of how I got started. That's awesome. And it's kind of funny, like how the detox got you into the right path. And Correct. like, it, yeah, like you said, it's a, such a small percentage. And in the past for me with my clients, when they're like, oh, what do you think about this detox or this cleanse? And I would just like hammer it down saying like, no, it's a bad idea. Don't do it. But at the same time, they've already kind of made up their mind that they're going to do it anyway, even if you tell them all the facts. So yeah. now it's like, okay, let's go do it for however long it is. Say it's two weeks. What are we going to do after the two weeks? Like, what's your game plan? And usually they don't think that far ahead. So it's almost like I want to set them up for failure. So just they learn something from it at least. And who knows, it might change their entire life kind of like yours. But usually that's not the case. No, and I think for me, I, I didn't go into it. I think a lot of the problem is people go into a detox with the mentality of, yay, this is going to help me lose weight. 
and I didn't go into that into it with that mentality at all. Um, if anything, I was like, I hope I don't lose weight because I was having so much trouble keeping weight on. I just had such a, a fast metabolism anyway. So I didn't have that. Um, and yeah, I noticed by including more fruits and vegetables and, and all of these foods, how helpful it was for me. So yeah, I am, I am definitely the anomaly with it. And as I said, it wasn't restrictive. I think that's a lot of the problem as well with detoxes is what you're allowed on that is a so small in terms of the allowable foods, but b so small in terms of the actual calories. And in with this, yes, there were certain foods that you couldn't have, but it was still lots of foods that you could, and there was no requirements in terms of you have to keep your portions below a certain size, or you have to keep your calories below a certain amount. So I was well fed as part of that. Um, so again, I think that was probably part of the reason why I, I fared better than most. Yeah, and like the interesting thing is that clients would rather suffer through detox than like say just eat healthy. And I always ask them like, "Okay, you want to do this detox? Why not we do a detox where for 30 days all you eat is vegetables and protein?" And then they're just like, "Well, you know, this is just going to jumpstart me in the right way." It's like, "Well, the option B, what I just told you is better for you, and it's it's hard. I would say it's as hard as doing a detox." but a little less suffering. Like it's so interesting how people's minds just directly go to something that's going to like put them in so much pain thinking that's going to give them such a great result. Yeah. And I think that that kind of no pain, no gain mentality yeah. is a big one, but also there's a, there's this real big mistake of focusing so much on the short term and not realizing the longer term end point or the end goal. And so many clients that I'll speak to have been on like, this thing and that thing, et cetera. And each of those may have only been for a couple of weeks or a month or whatever. But when you add all of that up, like two years down the line, they're in a lot worse place. And it's like, if we can find things that you can consistently do, and the end goal is like that in a year's time, you're still doing this, or in two years time, you're still doing this. Um, I know those numbers sound like a long time, but it's amazing how quickly you'll get to that place. And Normally, what you do instead is four or five other diets in that time. Yeah. And one of the like analogies I give is um, I have a couple clients that own their own businesses and they're pretty successful at it. And this one client of mine, he he was kind of frustrated. He's not seeing his results as fast as he wants. And I'm like, well, how long did it take you to build a multi-million dollar company? He's like, years. I'm like, it's the same thing for your body. Like you're not going to yep. change your entire body in 30 days with like the 10 years or 15 years of bad habits you built up over the time. Yeah. There's that saying of, uh, people underestimate what they'll achieve in a year and, uh, uh sorry, overestimate that what they'll achieve in a year and underestimate what they'll achieve in five or what they'll achieve in 10. And I definitely think that's the case where people expect really, uh, quick results. Um, and I, try and point out like the aggregate of marginal gains where if you keep stuff up like, over the long haul that's what makes the real difference yeah so the next question i wanted to get into is like why did you choose going down like the naturopathic route compared to like i'm going to become a dietitian or a nutritionist in that sense um probably the answer that's like a practical and then b um, naivety. So the practicalities were at the time that I was wanting to to study, I was still working full time. So I needed to find a course that I could do that would then fit in with 
with my job. And so the the College of Naturopathic Medicine that I studied at, it was one day a week. And so it allowed me to still be able to earn an income and to live while studying. And then the, the naive, naivety part of it was that when I looked into being a dietitian, um, at that stage, there just wasn't – so this is back in 2005, 2006. There wasn't the same internet presence of dietitians who were then working on their own. So what I had the concept of is if you were a dietitian, you then go and end up working in a hospital. And I knew that I didn't want to do that. I knew I wanted to go into private practice. Um, and so that was why I didn't go down the, the dietitian route. And in terms of being a naturopath versus a nutritionist, I really didn't have um, much of a, a leaning one way or the other. It was probably in the early days more leaning towards naturopaths type stuff, although I wouldn't really consider myself that these days, these, that these days. So yeah, it was more practical rather than anything. And it was just, that was the college that suited my needs best. And so that was why I studied there. Yeah. Like 2005, 2006, that's pretty early for like going into that kind of school. Cause I don't think naturopaths kind of got popular until recently, at least here and where I'm at in Canada, like I don't remember anyone like going to a naturopath or a naturopathic like uh, nutritionist back in 2006. So I think you were ahead of the curve for sure. And it was it was tough because the internet like you you easily forget how different things are now in 2017 versus back in 2005 and 2006. Like it's really easy to Google and to search and to find all of these different resources now to then evaluate that stuff. But back then there just wasn't as much, and so I had a chat with certain people who had studied it at um, different places, and then just just made my decision. So if I was studying now, what I do things differently possibly um but as i said it really was i needed to find something that i could still continue to work did you like automatically well, after you graduated did you just go on to the online space to give your services or did you like start working in like a private practice or an office setting no i initially i initially started um in the office setting and as i said at the beginning i'm i'm originally from from sydney and at that stage, I didn't know where I was going to end up. So I didn't know if it, eventually I was going to be moving back to Australia. So I did start initially in different offices, but always with an idea of I want to be creating an online presence because I don't know where I'm going to finish up living. It could be back in Australia. I could decide that I wanted to move somewhere else in Europe, etc. And so I didn't want to be in a situation where I built up effectively a, a brick and mortar business in a very specific location that I was then in a position where I'm like, I want to leave, but I'm now going to lose my whole business. So it was always the idea of how can I be creating something that no matter where I am going to be based in the world, I can then still do this thing. And so initially I was still practicing out of a number of different locations around around London um, and built up a practice that way and then eventually got to a stage where more of my clients were uh, based overseas. So I was always going to have to do it with Skype with them. And then more and more of my London-based clients were 
uh, just so busy. They were like, hey, can we just do it via Skype instead? I'm sorry, I'm not going to be able to make it to the office. So I'd be paying room rent for all these places and then I'd see one person in real life and I just was like, this doesn't make just doesn't make sense um and so then just change to doing everything online and it it's easier for the client as well like they're not having to travel anywhere because i can do it online i can offer way more hours than i'm then available so my client days the way they work it now i have two client days uh which is tuesdays and wednesdays and i will see someone at 8 a.m in the morning and i'll see someone up to 9 p.m at night and everything in between so it works well for me because i can then be doing everything um via skype but it also works well for for clients because they can then have much more uh room to pick to pick slots now I'm interested when you started going online like what was the first like I would say online client that you got that was not in London that was completely like from a different country and when you asked them like oh how did you hear about me what piece of content that maybe you made or was it a Google search that they found you like what made them find you like, I'm I'm kind of curious with that cuz there's so many people going online now and everyone's trying to build an online empire and you know people are posting content like crazy and I'm kind of curious to see what content is sticky enough for someone to be like all right I'm gonna go with this person I'm just curious um I would love to be able to answer that question but I just can't so back so from from when I started up I set up my own website and so I was always blogging at my own site I was then started to write for for other websites um, and so I genuinely don't know what uh, what the piece was or what the pieces were that really started to to pull people in I do always on my form I always ask that question um, and so it was normally through, uh, someone's blog or some uh, some website as opposed to a Google search more than anything else. And these days it's now just my podcast is what gets people in. But I'm not really I'm not really sure. I'm, I'm I think at some point when I started practicing, so I didn't initially pick a I'm going to just do all fitness or I'm going to do this particular area. I really didn't have an idea of what I wanted to to focus on and what I wanted to niche down with. And what started happening was I'd have a lot of women coming to see me saying that they wanted to come and do weight loss and they would then turn up and they were women who were living in bodies that most people wouldn't even think about losing weight. And we then get into their food logs and there was a lot of restriction. There was a lot of fear around foods and just started to get a lot of people who would fit on the uh, the disordered eating spectrum. And so I then started doing a lot of reading around that, really got interested in it, enjoyed working with that kind of client. And I think that's probably where I started to hit my stride in terms of getting more clients in and building things up and getting more reaction uh, to my content online when I started writing about more of that. So people's relationship with food, relationship with body, that kind of thing, as opposed to just more straight up nutrition. Okay. And this is good because my next question was going to be like, how do you coach people? Like what's your kind of like process or system? Like if you got a brand new client today, like what are your first steps to make sure that they're going in the right path? So the way that I do it, 
I, I don't work with someone where it's just a, I'll do one consult and then we'll see. We might book you in in a couple of weeks. So I start where someone has to sign up for a minimum of five months and we do an hour consult every two weeks across that time just because so much of what I'm focusing on is about getting people to create habits. It's about getting them to learn how their body works, to learn uh, how they react, um, having them be really an active part and an active participant in that process. So before I actually take anyone on, I will have a free chat with them and that can be half an hour, 40 minutes, 50 minutes, an hour to be like, okay, tell me about you. Tell me about what's going on, what you're wanting help with, what you're wanting to get out of us working together. So I have a really good sense of, okay, what do they want out of this process? So I can then say like, yes, I've worked on this stuff before, or I feel really confident that I can help you with this. I uh, can go through and say, okay, I think these things are happening for these reasons, and this is some of the stuff that we look at. Or it might be, you know what, this is not the kind of stuff I do with people, um, and I think you'd be better off seeing this other person if I can refer them out, or I'm saying, I think you need to find someone else. I'm not your guy. Um, so we have that initial initial chat, and if they then decide, yes, that we want to work together, I then send them a a email with loads of forms with lots of information. So I'll then get them to fill out a lot of information. I'll get them to keep a food log for a week. I'll get them to do a number of different things so that I'll spend a couple of hours going through all of that material so that when we have the first consult, um, I have lots of stuff to be then working from and getting clarification on and asking them more questions about. And I have my ideas of, okay, what I think that they should be doing, but as much as possible, and this is something I'm transitioning more and more into and trying to move more and more away from being the expert that tells everyone what they need to be doing to being the guy that helps them figure this stuff out for themselves. So a lot of it is me saying, okay, cool, what would you suggest that you need to be doing? What are the things that you think you need to be focusing on? And majority of the time, they're the same things that I've picked up on. But there's something nice about the client identifying that themselves. And then me saying, cool, what do you want to start working on? Where do you think you should be starting? And then them taking responsibility on it. So I don't, it, it very much when I'm working with someone, it is really client led. So there isn't always a, this is exactly where I start. It really depends on what's happening with them you said a lot of great things just there loved it all um so let's start with the first thing like the fact that the minimum is five months is such a good idea because i like for even myself like for my online business i have two packages only it's six months or 12 months that's yep. it and the reason why it's like you need to have some sort of time to actually see the changes like it doesn't happen so fast and that's what I explain, like, same thing that you do, like, do that first consult call where you just kind of get to know them and see where they're at and see what they need. And I just think, like, doing that and being <clears throat> being open, it just opens so many different doors and then they almost trust you even more and they're like, okay, hey, all of this makes sense. And yeah. compared to, like, oh, you can sign up with a month with me and by the time you, like, have your first consult call and do the paperwork. It's already been a month and you're like, we haven't really done anything. Yeah. And I think there's just something about the commitment of someone signing up for an extended amount of time where they then become committed on the process as opposed to, well, I'll just do this for one consult and then we'll see how it goes. And 
part of the reason I do it that way is because I've worked out that it it gets the best results. Um, but it was my my uh, girlfriend or girlfriend at the time, fiance now, um, was unwell about three or four years ago, um, and she signed up to work with someone over an extended period of time. And during that time, we then moved house. There was like a number of things that were going on that I know she hadn't signed up for that booking of five months. It would have just dropped off and she wouldn't have followed through on it. And she got such great results and recovered so well that I was like, this makes total sense. And so that was why I then switched over to, to doing it that way. Um, because you do, it, you get that commitment from people. And look, life is busy. Life gets in the way. And so by doing it in that manner, there is just that that uh, forethought up front of I'm going to be doing this for the next five months or six months or a year, however you structure it. Now, like, how do you keep your online clients, um, I wouldn't say adherent, but going in the right direction? Because everything online is a little bit harder doing it in person if you see them. Like, do you email them every day or every second day just to check in? Like, what's your process behind that? So my process with it is, or process is with it is, um, I say that I've got that while they're working with me, they have email support and that I want them to be emailing me if they have any any comments or any queries. Um, typically between sessions, I'm getting them to focus on just one thing. So it's normally when we discuss, okay, what do you want to be working on? It's normally just one, maybe two things. So it is just trying to focus on a very narrow thing where it's not getting convoluted. Maybe they'll have some different exercises than I'm saying. Can you watch this video or can you do this written exercise, etc.? cetera? Um, I use a, a program called Tummy, which is an app that I've developed with a developer to get them to fill in in terms of food logs. And as part of that, it's not just their food log, but it's what time they're going to bed and waking up. They can mark down bowel movements. They can mark down temperature and pulse and all of these different markers. Um, and so I'm normally then checking that before I have the consult. So I'm really just checking that once every two weeks. Um, but they do have direct access to me between that time and when we finish up the consult they know what they need to be doing and as i said it's only a couple of things so that's normally what helps them to to stay on track and i like that idea like having just one or two things to focus on because every other diet out there is like here is a list of things you can't do and then you're like overwhelmed yep. with all these rules and then you're out and you don't have this list with you and you're like shit what am i supposed to be doing and then it all kind of just falls apart and you feel defeated. Whereas if you have one thing, you can remember one thing really easily and you can follow that everywhere you go. And it's just a better success rate going that route. Yeah. And this is something that I've, I've learned over time. It's not how I was originally doing. And I do think I probably overwhelmed clients and I got them to do too much. Or it was more when I was doing the, the kind of expert role where I was telling them everything to do as opposed to them being much more involved. Um, but yeah, I think going that way really does help to keep them focused so they know what they, they should be doing. And, and I think as well, because we've got a really long time and I'll work with clients, as I said, for a minimum of five months, but we can continue working, um, together after that point. 
you're just getting them like the, the goal is that things are meant to be incre- incrementally better. It's not that from day one, the rug's being pulled from under them and they've got to change every aspect of their life. So it's just looking at when we do then have that consult two weeks later, it's like, okay, cool. Look, tell me, tell me what's been working really well. Where, where are you struggling? Like, um, and so rather than it's like every time, every two weeks, you've got to have done it perfectly. It's like, how are you just better now than you were before? And then the other thing that you said earlier was how you almost lead your clients to the answer. And I've yep. heard a couple other coaches use that method. And it's such a good idea because you just you just ask them like, well, what would be like the best case scenario? What would make this easier for you? And then they start thinking and they're like, well, if I had a water bottle on my desk, I would drink more water. Awesome. Yep. Let's do that. It's It's so simple. But I think a lot of coaches inexperienced, they just want to be the person that tells them what to do tells them what to do and they're not doing it and they get frustrated, the client gets frustrated and then nothing happens. Yeah, totally. And again, I need to to recognize there are times where I do feel like I want to jump in and, and it is me like, no, I need to take a step back and let this person figure it out. So I don't want to kind of give the impression that I'm perfect. Like it is a work in progress, all of this stuff. And I am always wanting to be a better practitioner and I'm working on this stuff. Um, but yeah, the I mean, the other scenario, because sometimes people struggle with the what what should I be changing or what should I be doing so phrasing in another way of like okay if a friend came to you with this going on or what would you suggest for them and just getting that uh detachment maybe a little bit more objectivity taking a step back commenting on someone else can sometimes be be helpful for someone if they're getting stuck yeah um the other thing I was going to ask you, do you do um, like the food sensitivity tests at all? I very, very rarely. Um, I'm just not the biggest uh, believer in a lot of them. I think the, the, I, I'm just not um, completely convinced around it. So if I do the food sensitivity test, it's normally because we've tried lots of different things and we're just, there is still a little bit of reaction that someone's getting around, um, in terms of their, their digestion or in other, in other areas. Um, and maybe we've done a stool test or maybe we've ruled some other things out and we may go down that route, but whenever that happens and whatever it comes back with, it's always, and I am always upfront with like, I don't think this is a complete science at this point. Like it, it is still a little up in the air. Use that as a bit of a guide. See what happens when you remove those things for, I don't know, two weeks or four weeks if it makes a difference and then go from there. But it, to be honest with you, I'm probably doing something like that a couple of times a year. It, it's not it's not something I do a lot with clients because when it's more obvious things where you can notice in the food log, um, it'll be, you know what, maybe just try taking that out. We don't even need to go down the, the food sensitivity route in terms of getting the test. So what exactly is the science behind it? Because I know out here, like almost every naturopath that my clients have gone to, that's like usually the first thing they have to do. And I'm like, most of the time when the results come out, it's like you can only eat hemp protein and squash <laughs> It's like, well, that sucks. Like, like I'm just curious, like, what's the science behind it? Because it seems, I don't know, just, just go for it. 
I mean, I'm probably not the best person to answer that question. So I would say the science, as far as I know, is looking at um, antibodies within the body or immune reactions that are coming up um, in regard to particular foods. And the the idea is if that is happening, um, then maybe you shouldn't be eating those foods. But the, the thing that I always find with this is, People often, when they do the test, the things that come back are the stuff that they eat most often. Um, and what I found for other people is if you do it with different labs, they get different results. So that's why I'm a little unsure on it and it's more of a, a last resort. But I have then at the same time had other people who've done it. We've said, okay, cool, these are the things. They've removed those things and it's made a big difference. So, yeah, as I said, I'm not enamored with this stuff. Um, or with the tests, but it, it can sometimes give someone a bit of information. But in terms of this being someone's first line of every client comes in, they get that as a screening. Yeah, I, I, I'm not a fan of that. And I don't think that that's going to be particularly helpful. Yeah, it's tough because I had a friend and she's struggling with weight loss. And I can't remember who told her to go to a naturopath, but she went, got the food sensitivity test, and then she told me all about it because she knows I'm in this industry. And she's like, well, what do you think about it? And I'm like, well, the fact that you're struggling with weight loss and then you have this like essentially restrictive diet that your naturopath told you to do, sure, you can do it, but it's going to be really tough and it doesn't teach you any like life skills for long-term success. So yeah, I might not want you to do it. You could probably do little things over time and then eventually get to the result that you want. But I don't know. I just feel like NDs right now, they don't have like a section of the curriculum where you learn the best like approach to get someone from point A to point B other than here's like the sensitivity test. This is what you follow for food and that's how we're going to fix you. But I don't know. That's just my opinion. (laughs) Definitely. And I think there needs to be within training a lot more of a, a focus on uh, psychology and the way that people think and their relationship with food and relationship with body and all of that part of it that that I don't think gets touched on enough, um, where for me, that's that's the whole thing that I'm doing with people is getting them to to have just this much better understanding of of what works for them and what doesn't. And, um, yeah, I think that, that to me just feels like there's a really big gap. And I think before we started recording, you were talking about how you're doing your level two in precision nutrition. And even I said like majority of that whole course, which is like a full year is the psychology behind eating, I I assume. So what's kind of the few things that you picked up so far in the course that are like, I want to maybe like opened your eyes a little bit or just made more sense and figured out why this person does this. Um, I'm trying, I mean, a lot of it is just, um, giving more validity to some of the stuff that I've noticed in practice already and that I'd seen more anecdotally, but then studying it and seeing it in the course, I'm like, okay, cool. Like, it's good that I've noticed this. So there was a recent assignment that we had to do, and I actually recorded a whole podcast on this um, that went out a couple of weeks ago, um, looking at how the connection between your your thoughts has a real impact on your your body and in terms of your health. And so it was research looking at um, cognitive dietary restraint, which is people restraining 
there or desiring to restrain or restrict their food um, below the level that they would like to in terms of their their body and their satiety levels um, in order to lose weight. And what they found was having that cognitive dietary restraint, having those thoughts, irrespective of what someone did with their actual diet, if they actually followed through it on or not, but just having those thoughts had a direct impact on ovulation, had a direct impact on uh, bone health, had an impact on like CRP levels and all of these different markers within within the body and all these um, different symptoms and, and uh, areas of health. And so, yeah, I found that really interesting, just people's thinking could have such a direct impact on the body. And this is something I've talked about with clients for quite a while, but it was nice to then have studies that actually went through this and showed that this is something that really that really does happen. So that's one thing that's really stood out for me. Um, I'm trying to I'm trying to think. Um, I'm kind of going blank on on other <laughs> things I could I could do. I mean, just it is a lot of it's it's quite nice the way it's split so a lot of it's looking at what happens for the client and then a lot of it is how do you be a better practitioner and looking at what you should be doing as well so i i, I like the way that they they do that where they're focusing on both sides now what do you do with like i would say problem clients where you know you're doing as much as you can but it's, it just seems like you can't get through to them and they want to make health their priority, but you know things keep popping up. They're kind of all over the place. They're like, "Yeah, hey, I need to do it. I'll just do it next week." Like, how do you get through those tough clients where you almost want to just like reach through your computer and just shake them, and be like, "Come on, we can do this together." I think it's probably having a bit of a conversation just about like what's going on, like what uh, what's getting not even what's getting in the way i don't think that's that's really the conversation it's trying to just find the little wins i i would say more than anything and and trying to not take that personally and be like seeing it uh, if i was a better practitioner i would be able to not have clients that were like this and and start to to make it all about you or all about myself and me trying to find, okay, what are the little wins that I can be getting for this person? How can I be making it better? Because as I said before, even if it's just incrementally better, I think that's heading in the right direction. And yeah, I, again, taking a, a long, a long-term view of it. Um, and so uh, if things are improving even if it's going really slowly i think that's fine if it feels like there's a, a total rebellion and it's nothing's working then i think it's at that point that you are then having that kind of tougher conversation of just like okay let's this is what i'm picking up let let's uh let's go through that have you ever had an experience where you had to fire a client because i find this like topic so interesting because so many different coaches have a different opinion about it so I'm kind of curious to see what your thoughts are on that. I haven't had a situation where I've had to to fire a client, but I have had situations where we both have said, you know what, we should just go our separate ways. This doesn't feel like it's working. But it, it's never been that I've said, uh, okay, I'm getting rid of you. Um, it, it's always been that something's happened or we, we've come to a, a mutual agreement on that. Because yeah, I find it like, for me personally, like, even if a client is being tough 
and you're like trying your best and some coaches would be like you know what it's a waste of my time I can use that slot with somebody else but for me it's like what are the chances of this client that I fire find somebody else have the confidence to go look for another coach to get them from point A to point B and I was having a this discussion with uh, Josh uh, Hillis from One by One Nutrition okay and um, he was saying like it comes down to like the skill of the coach right like if you just start firing all your clients that are not doing what you're saying, you don't really have the necessary skills to get someone successful. And that kind of just like opened my mind. I'm like, that's, that's true. Like rather than yeah. figuring out, okay, well my method's not working. What else can I do to help this person? And I think that's a lot of trainers sometimes forget, like, why are you in this in the first place? Like you're here to help people. It's not going to be easy. Like if this stuff was easy, everybody would be fit and shredded all year round. Yeah, definitely. And I think, again, if if you're doing more of, of flipping it back around and saying to the client, okay, what what do you want to be focusing on now? What do you um, what do you think you need to be doing? I think there's less of less of a, a chance that that's then going to be to be going on. And it's then just in each consultation, if someone's like, okay, I know I said I was going to do this and I haven't, it's like, okay, cool. Well, let let's explore that. And dealing with that situation with compassion and treating that person as a human being as opposed to just getting angry that they're not doing what you wanted them to do so yeah for me it's it's trying to explore and as you say like it it can be a window into okay what do i need to do that's better as a coach how can i approach this in a different way and a lot of the time when i'm working with people who are on the the disordered eating spectrum it really depends on on where they're at and, and things can take time. And there'll be clients where after the second consult, everything just clicks and they start to make changes and it just flows very naturally. And for others, it's not until consult seven, consult eight. And it's just me trying to have a conversation from a slightly different angle or painting it in a slightly different picture or going around uh, talking about it slightly differently to try and work out how how we can get through, how we can make that that click. And so, yeah, really focusing on like not getting frustrated with the situation, but, but like, okay, how can I help this person? What can we, how can I think about it differently? What could we be doing differently to, to get to that end result? How much experience do you have with uh, clients having disordered eating? Because like the more I'm reading in this industry, like there's so many little like red flags of clients that have popped up in my head where I'm like, you probably have an eating, dis- not an eating, d- disordered eating like habits almost. Like, yeah. do you have quite a, quite a bit of experience with that? So yeah, I've probably been working with clients like that for the last four or five okay. years. Um, but I, the big thing I say with this is because I have that initial screening with someone, I'm able to get a gauge of what's going on, where they're at. Do they have other uh, support team in place? And so are they already working with a therapist? Are they already working with someone else, etc.? And so if there's times where those things aren't in place and I think they're necessarily, I will, I will then make that suggestion with someone. Um, and I'm also really upfront with them in terms of like, I'm going to be supporting you. And I think it's really important to have 
a supporting relationship with someone and it can be the thing that does make the difference. But at the same time, I'm seeing you for an hour every two weeks. So I can't do anything for you. You need to be on board with this. Um, so because of where I'm at, um, the people who are coming to me with those uh, issues are really wanting to get better. It's not that I'm forcing stuff on them that they don't want to be don't want to be doing. And yes, things can be tough and it can be uh, difficult, but they're at a place where like I really want to get better. I really want to make these changes. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I spend a lot of time uh, reading around this and and trying to get better and understand this. And I think it's not just about straight up nutrition and it's not that something that, that, that if you understand nutrition you can deal with these kind of clients i don't i don't think that at all yeah it's, it's interesting like even because one example i have is one of my clients she's maybe like 51 but back in the day she used to be a figure comp- a competitor and yep. right now like she's the like the fittest 50 year old woman i've ever seen in my life like six body weight chin-ups like can lift heavy like she just looks amazing but she still feels like she should be eating better and being like able to restrict her calories because like she'll she'll tell me that she's just too fat i'm like are you serious like (laughs) you look amazing like you're a hot mom like soon to be grandmother (laughs) like and it's so interesting how something like i i personally hate the whole idea of bodybuilding and figure competitors like it just destroys your mind when it comes to around food but from I think she did that back in her 20s like for that long of a period of time she still feels like she needs to be eating just like she did when she was competing like it's just amazing how the brain can just fall into place like that definitely and I mean the more I do this like there's lots of different reasons for why people do that like they're restriction or their overexercise or whatever it may be can be general like uh, could be about aesthetics and and how they look but often it's about control often it's for for different reasons um but yeah i i think while she is in that shape um disordered eating and eating disorders as well affect people in all different types of body shapes, men, women, all different types of races, etc. And we think we have this very narrow definition of what it what it looks like. It's like women who are white, middle class, um, etc. But it, it really does affect a real wide uh a mix of the population and especially the more i i do this and the more i write about this and the more that this becomes my kind of clients that i work with i see how it affects people all across all across the board and when people start to admit and talk about this stuff it's a it's amazing how much more it comes up and maybe for other nutritionists they're not seeing it as much because they're not asking questions around that type of thing and they're just focusing on uh health or health in inverted commas and uh but yeah with with the clients that i'm seeing this is a really big big part of it were you able to ever like have one of your online clients overcome disordered eating and like if you did, what was kind of the breaking like point where they figured out like, this is it, this is what I need to do to kind of overcome this challenge? Uh, yeah, all the time. Awesome. And so it, it happens really regularly. And as I said, that this is 
if I was to look at the clients that I work with, I would say at least 50% would fall into that category. And a lot of them reach out because of a thing called hypothalamic amenorrhea or HA. So they're not getting their period. Um, and that's because of the overexercise or the restriction. And so with those clients, I'm able to help them get their, their period back. I'm able to help them get over the, the food stuff um, and their body image stuff. And it is a working progress. And when we finish up, they might not be still 100% there. And it, it's it's something that is ongoing that they continue to work on. Um, but yeah, people can get over this or, or get over it enough that it is not um, – impacting on their their life in the in the same way um, I think people are, are kind of unsure with how much you want to say someone can be completely recovered um, but yeah I've seen clients get very very uh, very very good results and in terms of your question of what did we do or what what was about it's it really depends on each person like there is no magic um, solution there's no one idea that I think changes everything it does come down to that individual. Yeah, you're right. It's always going to be individualized. And I just think like almost everyone now has some sort of bad relationship with food, even if they don't Definitely. know it, they probably yep. have it like, and it can be since something really small. Cause I can remember who I had on the show. We were talking about emotional eating and I can, I think I've read this in a blog or something like that. Like it could be passed down to you from your parents where like, say when you were a kid, and you were running around and you fall over and you hurt your knee and your mom comes to comfort you and she gives you a cookie. And every time you fall over and you hurt yourself, your like parents comfort you with like sweets and snacks. And then when you grow up, you know, you're feeling down about yourself. You're like, oh, I'm going to have like a whole tub of ice cream. And it's just kind of like built in your subconscious mind that anytime you feel sad or hurt, you're going to have something sweet. And I was like, yep. man, that just blows my mind. Like how how you're raised as a child, you can ha already develop a bad relationship with food. And with children, they are very much like they pick up on their parents' behavior. And so we've had now decades of parents who are dieting. And it doesn't matter if your mom, when you're a kid, says, hey, here, here's this big plate of food. They're never talking badly about your body. If they're constantly critical about theirs um, or they, the, the kid sees that they're constantly on a diet or they don't eat these foods or those foods, uh, the kid will naturally pick up on that stuff and will start to internalize it. And when you're young, like your parents are your heroes and you just want to take on the characteristics that they do. And so, yeah, that stuff just gets embedded in people by, um, by just what, what they see, irrespective of what the parents actually, actually say. Actually, this will be a good question. Now, because you're going to be a dad pretty soon, how are yep. you going to kind of show your child that health and fitness is important without like veering too far over to the right and making it like excessive? Um, to be honest, I don't think I really need to do anything different to what I already do. Like, I think if most people went out with me to a restaurant, they wouldn't necessarily know that I'm a nutritionist. I eat a real mix of different foods. If I'm at home and I work from home, like, yes, the majority of stuff that I'm eating is fruits and vegetables and meat and fish and dairy and whole foods. Um, but I'm not a purist around that stuff. I'm, I'm very relax about it. If I feel 
like I want to have a pizza. I feel like I want to have ice cream. I will do it. I know there's times where I'm not as organized as I should be. And so I'll end up getting food that is quote unquote unhealthy or processed or whatever it may be. But I genuinely just don't care about it because I know that the the totality or the majority of stuff that I'm eating is, is healthy. And I want to have a healthy relationship around food. And so, yeah, I, I think I also realize how food, like I studied nutrition, I, I do this for a living, but I also realize food is is just one part of this. And so making sure that getting proper sleep, getting outside, getting sunshine, like having happy relationships, um, all of these different things are just so important. And I think we can get way too focused and myopic on food and forget about all of these other things and forget about context. So I think in terms of raising my my child in terms of how to eat, it will be me doing what I'm currently doing and um, having them uh, then continue or not continue for them to just mirror that. Um, and I think from, from the little things that I'm planning on doing, trying to eat meals with the child. I think that's very helpful. The more that you eat with them, the more that they can take on that that stuff. And they're quite open then to eating different foods because they're not doing it on their own. They're seeing what you're eating, so they're going to eat the same. But I also don't want to speak too much around this stuff because I have no idea what's going to happen. I could have a child who turns out to be the pickiest eater in the world and I then have to <laughs> rethink everything I know. Um, so I, I have an idea, but I'm also open to the fact that I don't know what's going to happen. That was a good answer. You're, you're going to be a great dad. Don't worry about it. <laughs> Um, so another question I've been starting to ask is what is the one thing that you're struggling with? Like it could be nutrition, it can be like lifestyle. Like what is the one thing that you're struggling with now? Um, probably time. (laughs) Um, so yeah, just having enough time to fit in everything that I, that I either need or want to be doing. So this year, because um, my partner is is pregnant, she's 35 weeks now. Um, so basically from this whole year, she's been pregnant. We've been going to lots of different appointments. And so that's then time out. Um, I'm in the process of buying a house and we had to look for the house and then sort all this stuff out. So that's then taking um, taking time. I've set up another business in terms of an, an app. So that's taking time. So it's just, yeah, the, the thing that I'm struggling with the most is just trying to, trying to fit everything in while at the same time appreciating that in a couple of weeks time, I'm going to have a little child that I need to be taking care of. And so trying to relish the the time that I do have left where it is just, it is just me and I I'm only responsible for myself. Awesome. Uh, so very last question, uh, where can people find you online? Do you have any products coming out, speaking engagements or anything you can think of that you can plug into this podcast? That'd be awesome. So where people can find me online is seven uh, seven healthcom So uh, the word seven spelled out. So s e v e n hyphen health dot com. Um, on Facebook, it's seven the number seven health um, for the Facebook page. I have my own podcast called Real Health Radio, and so if you search for that um, wherever you find your podcast, it's also on my website. In terms of other things to plug, I'm. I mentioned earlier, I've 
started an app um, that I've been building with a with a developer or a development team over the last 18 months, two years, uh, and it's called Tummy, um, and it's aimed towards practitioners to then help them use with their clients so that they can do food logging, but also logging all different symptoms, um, different uh, measurements, so bowel movements or blood sugar, et cetera, and then having it all in one place that you can then pull up reports. And yeah, I find it incredibly helpful for me when I'm working with clients and don't know how I can do or how I would do what I do now if I didn't have that. And so we're now trying to uh, bring that out to the world and get other practitioners using it. And so the website for that is Tummy, so T-U-M-M-Y, and it's .io. So .io is a, is a new, a new uh, version of like .com or .net, and it means input-output. So considering what we were creating, it seemed appropriate. So Tummy.io. So that is it for for plugs. I'm pretty useless on the rest of social media. I do have a an Instagram account. I don't know what it is. I have a Twitter, which is Seven Health. But if you go there, you're going to be pretty disappointed because there's not a lot of content that comes out. So it's really my my website that has my blog, my Facebook page, which I am really active on, and then the podcast. Sweet. So thank you so much for your time. This was just plain awesome. Cool. Thank you for having me on the show. Yeah, it was really, really great chatting with you. All right, so that's going to wrap up episode 58 with Chris. Hopefully you enjoyed that one as, again, he was another amazing guest on the show. He knows his stuff and hopefully you learned a thing or two. Now, if you guys are going to be at the Perform Better in Long Beach in a couple weeks, I will be there. Say hello. I would love to meet my listeners. And again, I still have a few spots left for the transformation challenge. So if you are not a coach, but someone who's interested in fitness, health, nutrition, or anything in that realm, check out the transformation challenge. Go to my website, go to my social media. I have all the information there. I still have a few spots left open. And until next week, you guys, 